Hallelujah. It's good to see you here today at the chapel. I love our church family. Uh, I rolled up yesterday to the church for the baby shower. It was at 2 o'clock. And I thought that I might have missed a service. There was so many people here. There's never enough cake, is there? Anyway. I want to make a quick announcement as you're finding your seat. Uh, We appreciate all of you that are uh, able to give to the church. Realize that, you know, as I talked last week on the the series, What Makes You Happy? And we talked about the volunteering and taking uh, part in the the church. You realize, right, uh, everything that comes into our church is through voluntary donations to this point. So, I appreciate what you have done last year and we're believing for even better this year. If you were a giver and you're looking for your tax receipt, it should be in the mail. And if it is not, please contact us to make sure that everybody gets what they gave. And again, some of us are, let me say this, we have your receipt, but you don't. we don't necessarily have your address. So uh, some of them will be passed out today in person just to hand it to you. And our bookkeeper was able to do that. We appreciate Nita and all that she's done and, and Twyler and putting that in the mail. And uh, a lot of times there's so many moving pieces that it, it's hard to get it to everybody at the, the correct time. But they work very hard. Let's give them a hand for all that hard work. I know that I was uh, started out in, in business school and I got to the, uh, the classes that I had to get to, to get that degree and uh, I went through accounting and I decided that was not my field. So let me tell you, somebody that's been there, done that, I appreciate those that can do the accounting of the church and, and all that. You know, uh, also I appreciate Brooke and all the, the worship team this morning. Wow, she got a couple woo-woos on that. Uh, Lisa Cruz is our worship leader, and she's out of town, and we love Lisa and Homer. I love her a little bit more when she's here, and the only reason is because when she's not, she's on vacation, and not that she doesn't need a vacation, but every time that she's on vacation, she's emailing me or texting me pictures pictures of her and Homer by a palm tree or on a cruise ship or something like that. And she's saying, I just wanted to remind you that I'm on vacation. I love Lisa and Homer and they mean a big part to us. And I love the reason that she does that is because she takes care of so many things at the church. And when she's gone, it it, it just, you know, she wants to make sure that it, she reali- or I realize that some of the things get taken care of. And, and today I appreciate Brooke. And, you know, I don't know what Lisa's favorite part of the service is. I thought it was my sermon, but Brooke's is halftime. Anyway, we'll, we'll go on to that. There's nothing like cookies and whatever else they have back there that I love my daughter. She did a great job today and. And all that. You know, one of these days I'm going to have a guest speaker. I'm going to sit down there and woo! And they're going to. Anyway. Kind of threw me on my game a little bit there. Uh, 
this morning, let me tell you, I, I am so excited and I am about just this next season in our church. As today is the first Sunday in February and this morning early at 9.30 we started the, the whole teaching and the Christian education on habits and how that can change our life. And, and really for nine weeks we're going to be talking about that at 9.30 to about 10.15 and then at 10.30 we start our service and I'm starting a new series called 90. And the the this series is going to be a little bit different than what we've done in the past. And let me tell you why it's different. It's because a lot of times what we find out is that the people that are going to church now don't have necessarily the Bible knowledge that, that our forefathers had just because we take for granted sometimes of getting in the Word of God. We say, well, we got technology and we can, you know, turn in our iPhones to any chapter anytime that we want. We have it with us. But a lot of times what we do is we come to church and we'll hear because of our time is limited and, and it's important to be a self-feeder and not just a feeder when you come to church and let the pastor feed you. But there's so much limited time. A lot of times I preach on topics and, and just on specific things that people are going through to get freedom in. And, and this isn't going to be different, but it's going to be different in the fact that we're going to go for 90 days in the life of Jesus. and and. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a a journey through the life of Jesus from the time that uh, the prediction, it's just going to be quick, a prophecy of what God said that Jesus was going to come to the world. And then we're going to take him all the way and we're going to learn about what happened in him being introduced to the world as the Lamb of God. And, and then we'll take him all the way towards Easter when he becomes the sacrifice for mankind. So this morning, as we begin this journey together, I want to challenge you to be here for 10 weeks, and especially on Easter Sunday morning, and, and to get knowledge of what has happened in the Bible. Maybe you've grown up and you've heard pieces of it. We'll be talking about things that maybe, I don't know, maybe by the fourth week you're saying, oh, 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 I don't know, I don't know about that. And you might even choose, because we all have a free will, not to take the journey with us. But this morning, as we start on our journey, can we again, as we did the Lord's Supper, just be thankful for the story? Let's pray. Father, as we begin this series together, a lot can happen in the next 90 days. And I just pray that as a church, and God, you know my excitement of just just filling my heart with the things that are coming, that we're able to be able to see these things that your son has done and what you have done for us. And God, I pray that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be able to receive, and our lives would be changed for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Now, here's what I want you to know in today's in a, in a nutshell. So when, when you leave in, in all the things that I say and all the things that I read, and we're going to read some scripture, a lot of scripture of coming to that first starting point. But in all the things that I say, I want you to realize this. And I want you to be able to say when somebody says, what do you preach on today at the chapel? You can say that Jesus came into the world to bring something new to the world and for the world. In that statement right there, you'll begin to see the power of how much God loves you and me. 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and sin and destruction entered into the world, that deception played such an important part in mankind that they, they did what was called sin. They, they did disobedience to God. Because sin came into the world, there was a separation between God and man. But at that moment, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the prophecy from God the Father says there's a plan that's coming to take care of that mistake. The, the Bible says when God's talking to the enemy, He says, yes, you, have, you will strike His heel, but Jesus, He says, will crush your head. And I don't know if you've ever watched the, the Passion of the Christ and possibly we'll see that together as a church on uh, Palm Sunday evening, but that's something to, to talk about later. But in that movie, you'll see that powerful demonstration of how Jesus came into the world to redeem mankind from the sin that Adam and Eve entered into. If you're breathing and you're older than about six months, you know that we all enjoy what we just did in December called Christmas. And especially when you were a child, you kind of had that anticipation of what's under the tree and all the gifts that were given. But hopefully you were taught at an early age, as we say, the, the reason for the season is to promote and to recognize that Jesus came as a baby into the earth, on the earth. And, and we, we get to hear that story every year in our candlelight, service on Christmas Eve, we sing the songs, you know, Little Town of Bethlehem or Silent Night, and we all get that warm and fuzzy feeling of realizing, hopefully realizing, that it isn't just about the gifts and the, you know, the tinsel on the tree, but it's, it's about how Jesus chose to come to earth for you and me. So this morning, we fast forward to the time that Jesus now is a man. He's not a baby. He's not in a manger. But at, a, at an age of 30, he enters into ministry and into a, in a time of public ministry. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to tell the story of how Jesus enters into ministry and where it starts. And here's what I want you to realize, that it's going to be told through the, the eyes of people that were there. John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And even though Luke was there as a, as a representative, or some say dictated it. All these are from first-hand revelation that walked and talked with Jesus or somebody that actually was dictated of what they said. Some people think that Mark dictated the story from Peter's perspective. So this morning, as you know, if you're reading the Bible, we want so much more to know more information than a lot of times that is given us. And I've used the illustration that it's sometimes like looking through a knot hole in the fence. You can only see so much perspective. So this morning, we're going to take several different accounts and put them all together. And you can even fact check them later if you're not, you know, for some reason you think, well, Pastor, I don't know if that lines up. Please fact check it. But if you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll begin the journey together. And here's Luke. He's a physician. I kind of believe that he's kind of a detail-oriented man, maybe a melancholy that he can write down, and he's organized. He puts this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch, 
of Ateria and Tachyconus. You can just, if I mispronounce it, just give me grace. And Trachytis and Lugukukia, okay? Tetric of Arthenia, of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, here's what I want you to know. You sometimes read that and you read it real fast and you go, okay, okay, okay. But what I want you to know from the beginning is here is Luke and he's writing the gospel of Luke and he wants to make sure that you realize this is a lot more than starting out saying a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Or maybe starting once upon a time. This is not a fairy tale. And by putting these things into the Bible, you can actually do what I just said. You can go back and fact check that through history. Exactly the time period. It says in verse 2, that the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in, in the wilderness. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 3, and if we have that, you can go over to Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. It says, people went out to him, talking about John the Baptist, and the reason that he was John the Baptist, he was, it wasn't because of a denomination. It's not that he could be John the Methodist or the Presbyterian or Assembly of God. It's because of what he did, his action that people gave him the AKA or the nickname, John the Baptist. People went out to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan. And it says that they went out confessing their sins. Now, if, if you're in the church and you're reading this, this is something that is, you go, okay. But I want you to know that this is unheard of at this time. This is something that's brand new that people are going, what? What is happening out there? Because for those people to go that far, it's a day's journey. We know that they didn't have a Cadillac or any other car that they could drive out to there. They would walk, and a lot of times they would have to actually plan the whole day in advance, maybe even lunch or dinner, pack that and do you know the whole day event. So this wasn't just a light thing, but everybody in that region, it says, was going out to John the Baptist, and here's what they were doing. They were confessing their sins. This, this is something that was only to take place previously at the temple. It says they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now this is something new too because nobody to this time, the baptism of a person usually was from you know being a Gentile and being converted into Judaism and it was something that was not done by another person. You didn't manhandle, so to speak, a person into the water. It was an individual thing. Somebody would go into the water themselves and they would uh, baptize themselves in making a symbol that there is a change that was taking place in their life. So what I'm trying to do is get you as we start on this 90-day journey that something is happening and there's a whisper and somebody, you know, Mildred might be down at the grocery store talking to, you know, Wilma and they're saying, hey, do you know what's happening out there at the Jordan River? No, I didn't hear and all of a sudden the buzz in all that area and all that region begins to say there's something that's happening in this guy John the Baptist. People are going out and they're confessing their sins and they're being baptized? You mean actually that he's, he's, yeah. Now again, remember this up to this time had to be required by the authorities of the temple. Who's this guy John the Baptist? And, and he begins to identify himself, but we'll see in just a minute, as kind of the opening act of Jesus. Can you imagine? And here he is in camel hair with locust breath, John the Baptist. 
Yeah, okay, back to the passage. In John chapter 1 now, we'll go back to verse 7, and it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through Him all might believe. He's, a, he's just testifying. He's a witness. And if you look at verse 8, it says, He Himself was not the light. He came only to, to as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Again, you can see as you're reading this and hear it out of, out, of, out of your own mouth if you're reading it out loud that the anticipation there's someone or something coming that's going to change the world. It says, John testified concerning him who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, people are going, what? You're telling me that someone, something, somehow, some way is going to come after you that's going to change what we do and how we do it? Again, as the anticipation begins, and then kind of as a foreshadowing of the conflict between Jesus, the Messiah, and the religious systems of the day, listen to what happens. Again, there's so many laws that for everything, it centers in the temple. The law governs all the Jewish behavior, all the Jewish lifestyle. And the next part it says, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to it. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago about grace and truth. And how Jesus came with perfect grace and perfect truth. See, a lot of us grew up in a church of either one or the other, where there was mostly grace or mostly truth. And so when, when here is the conflict that's going to begin, and John the Baptist, he's out and he begins to preach this. And Luke begins to write what is happening so that you and I can understand how it started. Now watch, the new that's coming, it's not an and, it's not the second chapter or the second book of the Bible or the second part of the Bible. I want you to hear this. It's not, Jesus is not coming to write Judaism 2.0. He's bringing something new. In verse 19 it says, Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. They're, they're sending scouts out. Check out this guy. We're too busy. Find out what he's doing. It says, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I'm not the Messiah. And then they ask him, are you Elijah? Have you ever wondered why they would ask him? Because they know that Elijah surely wasn't alive. But if you know the Old Testament, and let me just tell you, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Now again, Malachi is at the end of the Old Testament. And some people really believe that when Malachi was done, you know, he turned out the lights, went home, and there was no spoken or written revelation after that for 400 years. But in Malachi, it says this. In verse 4, verse 5, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great day and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And then if you go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is fascinating, the prophecy. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The, message, the messenger of the covenant 
whom you desire will come. Again, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the day of the Lord. So here we are, and he says, I'm not. He, they say, are you the prophet? Now, now, do you understand that these are people that have anticipated the Messiah for years? They, they all didn't believe, probably, the prophecies. But I want to jump ahead all the way until Jesus passed away on the cross, or on the cross, was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Those things that were told of Jesus and prophesied before He even came to earth. Watch this. I love this little, little illustration here. They tell me that people that are theologians that are, you know think that maybe, maybe not, and even people that are not believers, that are atheists, that try to disprove the Bible. Here's what they say. They say there's no way that all that happened and was prophesied before it happened. They said it's, it's impossible. They, they even say that a lot of times that the, the things that happened happened first and then people wrote and said, yeah, this is coming. Because here's the reason. This, this kind of just blows your mind. They say the prophetic words that came out of the prophet's mouth before Jesus came about Jesus the Messiah coming on the earth and dying for the sins of man and all that. Watch this. It is like, and maybe you've heard this illustration, it's like if you covered the state of Texas in silver dollars, but if you covered them knee deep, that's a lot of silver dollars, right? And you drop someone out of an airplane in a parachute. And they just landed wherever they wanted to in Texas and walked around with a blindfold on. Okay? And whenever they chose to stop, they would reach down through the silver dollars around their feet and they would pull one up and they'd get the right one that was marked before they fell out of the plane. That was the same odds of all those prophecies coming true. So here's the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the Levites, and they're going, are, are you Elijah? Who are you? Tell us who you are. We've got to give a report back to who you are. See, Malachi had already prophesied, and so they're looking, and he says no. Finally, they get to the point in verse 22, and they say this, then who are you? Give us an answer. Give us something to take back to those people that have asked. Who do you say you are? Now watch this. You can begin to see that they begin to kind of poke and prod. and Because here is John the Baptist and he's doing something that is unheard of. And he's almost, listen, when he's asking them to confess of their sins and be baptized and, and, and the, the words that are coming and the sermons that are coming, it's almost like in a way that he's taking and making a portable temple out into the wilderness. So who are you? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, it says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Something new is coming. Come on now. Something greater, something that you've never heard of, Something even greater than the temple is coming. Be ready for it. Now continue on in John chapter 1 verse 24 and it says, Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. 
Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Do you see how they're going general and then they're getting more and more specific? See, they're requiring an explanation and they're trying to poke him and prod him until they they feel like they kind of actually get the answer that they want. And I believe, in just my opinion, they're probably thinking, just admit you are a lunatic. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not even know of. Someone, in other words, that you don't recognize. Now, can you imagine all these people that have taken a whole day's journey and these people are asking him questions and they know what they're doing. They're trying to, they're trying to confuse him. They're trying to get him in a, in a kind of a pinch and trying to push him a little bit. And here's John and he says, there's somebody that you haven't even recognized around us. That's who I'm talking about. Now, now think about that. The anticipation and for the people that are asking the questions become a concern? You, you, mean, you mean he could be around here who you're talking about? Continue with me. In verse 27 it says, He is the one who comes after me, who straps their sandals. I'm not even worthy to untie. It's almost like they're unsatisfied with their report and they go, come on, come on, come on. Tell us more, but, but he won't. And, and they go back and the Pharisees hear this and the Sadducees and they decide, well, we're not satisfied. We're going to go ourselves and talk about what we want to talk about. We're going to ask the questions that are going to really, really prove that he's a loon. Which was the biggest mistake on their part. Because listen to what happens here. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees go and they're the kind of, they're the, they're the, Come on now, they're the good looking, they're the smellers. They're the good looking people that smell good. They got the big robes. When you go to the temple, you poke your child and go, that's Caiaphas, the high priest. That's Ichabod. I don't know their names, but that's someone. Look at them. Look at that robe. Look at that hat. So all these people that are on the mountainside and they're, they're watching John baptized and all of a sudden here's this, this whole, you know, they get out and they, they walk up. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, John the Baptist, he's baptizing and out of his eye, here they come. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers! Can you imagine how many people went, oh my goodness. Oh, it's on. It's on. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, see, they were the law keepers. They thought and they respected themselves because if anybody was keeping the law, we know the law, we memorize the law, we study the law, that's who we are. And here's John, he's fronting them out. Oh, no, you're not. Let me tell you, what's happening is this is a change that is happening and right here in front of these people, they see all of a sudden what was accepted and what was uh, even participated in now is beginning to evolve into something different. The days of compassionless, the, the loophole religions where they could say they're doing something but really be doing something else. 
John's going, it's up. It's done. It's a new day. In John chapter 1, verse 28, it happens. Here's when Jesus now comes on the scene for the first time, and it says this. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan when John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, now just a minute, pause and imagine. Just put yourself there. He's been speaking about Jesus, someone that you know, someone among us that is, that is greater than I. And all of a sudden, what in the world? Here he comes. And he sees Jesus coming towards him and says, Look! Now, now I want you to see this. He doesn't say believe. He doesn't say, you know, think about it. He doesn't say imagine or pretend. He doesn't say turn off your mind. But he's saying, look, examine for yourself. And he says, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. See, what, what we hear that, and if you've never been in the church, you wonder why the whole subject of the Lamb. But the people of this culture, that rang a bell because they knew for the forgiveness of their sins, they were, it, it was a prescription. You sin, you take a lamb, you take this animal to the temple for sacrifice for the covering of your sin. And here John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. They, they can relate to that. God was bringing a lamb to the people all the way out here in the wilderness. And then he says this, who takes away, in other words, picks up and carries off the sin the sin of the world. The news come. God has provided a lamb. The, the temple has been corrupt and the people know that. They've gotten so far off track. In the middle of nowhere, people are repenting of their sins and being baptized. There's no place of atonement out here. How can they do it? But John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who comes, who picks up and carries away gets rid of the sin of the world. Now, if you're there, I want you to think with me. Those people, they're going, what? The sin of what? The world. You mean the sin of Israel. Because surely God hates Israel's enemies. Our whole religion is based on separation between Israel and the, the world. John, you, you missed it, right? God, God isn't going to provide a, a way of forgiveness for, for the whole world, the Gentiles too. And in that moment, something begins to resonate in those people's lives. They begin to say, All right, you're saying this is something totally new. It's not, this, the, again, it's not another thing. It is a new thing. And John the Baptist puts it this way. He says, this is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. 
John is saying, I came, you believe me, but I'm only here to reveal who he is. When you begin to think that Jesus begins to be revealed as the bridge between God and man. Think of those people that had very little hope. And all of a sudden they hear the message of John the Baptist and repenting and a new day's coming. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus, the Lamb of the world, that, or the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden the hope level begins to grow. A new covenant, you mean a new agreement, something that we've been waiting on for years that our grandparents have been talking about. So this morning, when we begin to think of Jesus, and we begin to actually realize at the starting point as people are getting this all together, maybe there's people here today that have had a problem with the church because they never really realized that the Word of God is the Word of God, but every word in the Bible is not for every person. Now that's confrontation to some. But when you talk about what was spoken to the Jewish people in some of the situations of the Old Covenant, today for us, the New Covenant gives us a whole new way, not, not folding back on the old way and saying, yeah, but you know, In weeks to come, we'll begin to show you that. And all these 600 commandments that the Jewish temple began to put on the people will eventually come down to two. All the things that the people were walking around bent over because of all the things at the church. And again, people that didn't stay on track of what God had. Now it's a new covenant. And so many people at that time were thinking, how, how can this be? How is it that, that it's a new day? How is it that God loves us so much that He would actually provide a lamb for our sins? To forgive us. And this morning as I end this first part of the journey, I want to assure you that maybe you haven't been told in a while. God loves you so much. And sometimes we've been told different from people, maybe even people in our family that mean well. But our God proved it. And coming to this earth to die for you and me. And when we sin in our life, the enemy's there to say, you can't be forgiven. And that's where all the, the loss of hope comes in and the fear, doubt, and unbelief begins to set in. But if you realize, even back to this first part of the journey where God says, there's a new day. And for you that are here this morning, that new day is now. That you just have to receive what Jesus did on the cross for forgiveness of your sins. But let me tell you, before we get to the cross, there's a lot of stories to tell, tables to be turned over. 
diseases to be healed, people to be raised from the dead. Amazing stories of what Jesus did as we get closer and closer to Easter. Let's pray. You're a wonderful Father. God, you demonstrated it. You just didn't say it, but you demonstrated it in sending your son to die. And Father, being a sacrifice for our sins, that God, we ask why? And the answer is because you love us. And Father, today we receive that. We repent of our sins and we're forgiven. And Father, we love you so much for doing that. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.